I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. Lynette Charity, author, speaker, and board-certified anesthesiologist. We're going to be talking about physicians' health tips for hashtag quarantine life. Uh, Dr. Lynette Charity uh, shares how to stay physically and mentally healthy while COVID-19 has you housebound. Right now, roughly 100 million people across the globe are practicing varying degrees of social distancing. Hashtag quarantine lifetime has become a trending hashtag on social media with scores of people sharing posts about boredom, anxiety, and frustration with their new housebound lifestyle. As we enter hashtag quarantine life for the foreseeable future, will basic health advice like diet, exercise, and sleep be enough? And is it even possible? According to Dr. Charity, these general health guidelines are even more important as we as we self-isolate. Uh, she offers tips and actionable advice people can use to maintain a healthy lifestyle during hashtag quarantine life. Uh, Dr. Charity is an author, human, humorist, and award-winning international speaker who graduated with honors from Chatham College for Women and received her MD degree from Tufts University School of Medicine. Welcome to the show, Doctor. Nice to have you on this morning. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. Well, yours is the topic, obviously the topic of the day. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, so, okay, I, you're, you know, we know we have to stay healthy, mentally healthy, physically healthy, exercise, eat well, uh, do all of those kinds of things, though, that for some of us were difficult even before the coronavirus. We weren't necessarily doing so well. You know, we have, so how are we going to be, <laughs> you're chuckling, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're entering into this uh, different phase now. Most of us have been uh, self-quarantined or isolating for, you know, four to six weeks. And, uh, yeah, we're constantly hearing this thing about, uh, you know, make sure you eat healthy, make sure you get enough sleep, make sure you exercise. And, of course, there are people out there saying, I'm sick and tired of that. I, I, need, to, I need something else. And uh, to be honest with you, it's just it's, it's one of these things of right now, you just you need a routine of some sort. And uh, I, as I said, I've been doing this now. I've been self-quarantined for, for now six, five weeks, five weeks. And uh, I have been mixing it up a little bit as to what uh, I do. But when people think about quarantine, they think that they have to, unless they really have the virus, uh, they really can get outside. As you know, that we are trying to think about uh, reopening the country and trying to um, maybe allow certain things to happen. But before that can happen, there are a lot of other issues that there are a lot of other things that have to be done before that. So we are still stuck in this environment of being close to home and we have to make it something that is that works for all of us in my situation uh i am i am 68 years old i am i am trying desperately to make sure that i don't come in contact with anyone with coronavirus but i still get outside and when i say get outside is it's amazing what sunlight and vitamin d and just 
observing the world, just observing your, your, your world, your sphere can do for your mental health and your physical health. I try to uh, work out 30 minutes a day and my 30 minutes a day either I, I'm, I'm uh, with my grandson. My grandson is here with me and he is two years old and uh, it's really hard to not do something when you have someone that age who really doesn't care what's going on. He's got his agenda and his agenda is that he gets up in the morning, he wants something to eat and then he wants to go outside. And so outside for him is our backyard and we go out there and we enjoy. I, I run around with him. That's my 30 minutes of exercise or I pick him up. I, I do a lot of things to keep my, my brain active and my body active as well as as we said, I want to stop healthy. you there because I'm sort of identifying. I don't know if you listened to the guest the, before the first half hour, but I have two twin grandsons, two years old and a four year old. And I haven't had contact with them for five weeks because oh. we were all in New York City. Now we're in Albany and it's been five weeks. But uh, the fear of the, the children and I wondered that, say, the two year old, because it seems that two year olds really don't get the virus. Um or if they do, they're asymptomatic, they don't get sick. How did you decide to, because you are in a vulnerable, you said 68, yeah. How did you decide to be with him? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the thing is that when all of this started happening, we took our grandson out of daycare and brought him to our house. So this was back on March uh, 16th or so. And uh, we just, my, my daughter is working from home and she actually is living with us too. We just decided that we would uh, self-isolate together. And uh, the, the two-week period went by, everybody seemed to be fine. So we have kept up that, you know, we have been very fortunate that uh, my son is, is, is self-quarantining in California. There's no way he's going to come here. I live in Arizona. So he is, he is there, but we, we uh, FaceTime each other almost every day so that I can see him. But as for my, my grandson, my grandson has been here for the last five weeks, um, and we are fortunate. I, like you, I have a number of friends who have uh, grandchildren and other relatives all over the country, and they're only able to communicate through uh, social media and uh, FaceTiming, that kind of a thing. And sometimes I, what I do is on my, on my Facebook page, I just post pictures of my grandson, you know, just doing funny things, just to lift people's spirits. And, of course, you have those people who say, well, you know, I'm not that fortunate to have my, my grandchild or my children or whatever. Well, you know, that's, that is what it is, but that doesn't mean that you have to constantly live in the negative, live in the positive. The positive is that, you are alive and you will survive this. There are certain things that you're going to have to do for the short term. It may seem like it's forever, but with all of the, the contradictory information out there, the most important thing is to follow the original guidelines set down by the CDC and we will get through this. Many people now are wanting so desperately to have our, our world reopen to this whatever new normal it's going to be. But what they don't understand is that until 
we have the, a proper way to determine who has COVID, who doesn't have COVID. Because as you said, you know, young, young children don't usually get it, but there are people out there who are asymptomatic walking around and not knowing. And that's one of the things I get concerned. There's senior day. We have senior day here so that we can go to the store. And my husband and I alternate. We go for our hour. We wear our mask. We have our hand sanitizer. We wear gloves. We go in. We get what we need. We come out. We come home. We wash. That is what What, we do. Well, Uh, I'm listening to you, and obviously you're – you're a physician, but a disciplined person and used to being a disciplined person. Uh, How do you, can you comment on the people who are, let's say storming the state capital, different state capitals and saying that they, and they don't have masks and they're not, you know, they're not engaging in any kind of social distancing. Where are they coming from? Well, I mean, what are they not getting, I guess? or uh, that's I'd just like you to comment on that. Well, because, you, know, yeah. I, all I, you know, I all you know, Forrest Gump used to say, "Stupid is as stupid does." <laughs> uh, it, it's one of these situations where uh, people are cr- trying to grasp on to anything that will make sense of what is happening right now, because in a way, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I, most of us thought, if anything, it would be a nuclear bomb that would take us out or disrupt our way of, of living, all the anxiety, all the angst that's going on in this world. And then this tiny little virus comes along and upends everything. And what you can't see, sometimes you can't understand. You don't see the devastation of what a nuclear bomb can do here. All you see is blips of people that may be on ventilators, their faces are completely blurred out, so, you know, for HIPAA violations. You see people covered in gowns, you can't see their faces. You, 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 you just don't know unless you're in an epicenter somewhere. Now, in Arizona, where I live, you know, we have 150 cases. There may be more now. I haven't checked the, the numbers. Uh, but the key is that it is, it is difficult for people to understand what they can't see. And there are people out there with their own agenda, and they feel like this is disrupting my livelihood. I really don't care about anybody else's, but because it's disrupting my livelihood, this has got to stop, and I need to get back to what I was doing. And this is out of our control. Sometimes you just have to... Just say, I, I can do nothing about this. Namaste. I'm going to go meditate. I'm going to go and uh, take care of my, what little world I can. My world is my little home right now. And I, I manage this pretty well. And as you said, I am, I am a left brain person. And, and I also listen to authorities. I listen to people with the knowledge. I don't go off and listen to people that are being disruptive. And the people that are doing these things right now, they don't realize, they truly don't realize what harm, they may not be putting themselves in harm, but they're putting other people in harm. And this should not be the American way. We should be supporting each other as best we can. I support my local businesses here. You know, I don't leave, but I order things online. Uh, I order meals online every so often. I contribute to my community. 
you know, we have a, a group that was making uh, masks. So I contributed to that group that were making masks for the community. And these are the little things that can really make your heart feel great if you know you're participating in the positivity of the situation and not the negativity. That's the biggest problem we're having right now. Now, I think that's critical, and I think going back to the people who are, are not doing what they should be doing, uh, if they would take it one step further uh, and realize that not only do they put their families at risk and their loved ones mm-hmm. at risk, but think about all those doctors and nurses and healthcare workers are going to have to take care of you when you get sick, because you will get sick. It, I mean, you're going yes. to get sick, yeah, and I, I guess getting that message out or at least trying to get that message out, uh, is important. But you're right, concentrating on the positive and volunteering, volunteering. Uh, volunteering always makes people feel good. And probably, yes. you know, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, this whole new uh, phase program has given a lot of people hope. But what they don't seem to, to understand is that even if we go through these phase, this phase, phase one, phase two, phase three of getting our economy back on, on board, each state will have to first evaluate to make sure that within a 14-day period, there are no new cases, that they have testing available. This is our biggest problem right now. It would be great if we could test everybody right now to see if they have the coronavirus or they don't have the coronavirus. And then if they do, then we do some contact tracing, see where they, where, who else has been in their sphere, make sure that we get them, do the self-isolation for them, and then we can move forward. But everyone, as soon as they heard that we're going to open things up and let restaurants open and certain, you know, the first thing they hear is we're going to open. But they didn't hear when Dr. Fauci said we first have to do this gating program. And the gating is the part that no one is hearing. And that is that we really have to make sure that when people go back, when we open up the hospitals to do elective surgery, when people are starting to go to restaurants and movie theaters, social distancing still has to be in place and people need to be tested. And no one seems, they've lost sight of that, that that's all we have right now. A vaccine is not coming in the near future. You know, people say 12 to 18 months. Well, if you truly understand how to make a vaccine, that's that's a conservative effort, but it takes a lot. And there's testing that has to be going on. And then they throw out all these different drugs that they've heard that have done some good here. These are all sporadic experiments. Some have worked. They don't always tell you all of the side effects or the other part of, of the survey or of the, of the experiment that they've been doing. But we're grasping at straws, and we're not listening to the powers that be. And the powers that be, for me, are healthcare providers, public health officials, and you know, Dr. Fauci, for me, is, is an important aspect of this. What, when something comes out of his mouth, I believe it. I yeah, believe we need it to listen. hardly because he's concerned. I'm, say again? I said we need to listen, and I was going to say we the second listen, part yeah. of that is that you're an expert as well, because I'm look, oh, you graduated from Tufts University School of Medicine, obviously very impressive, and they have a big public health department. I mean, that's, don't they? Very well known. Um, I was going to ask you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did, well, uh, 
when you graduated, just out of curiosity, because public health is never a very sexy part of medicine, right? We like, you know, heroic kinds of things and open heart surgery. But I think that most Americans anyway, uh, and I'm sort of making this assumption, um, don't realize how strong our country is because of public health. If you go to other countries like India, for instance, or some developing countries, their public health system doesn't compare to ours, and, and that's what's made us a quote a healthy country. Anyway, I'd like you to kind of comment on that because um, well, I think one we thing take, that, that yeah. yeah, one thing that ended up happening if if you remember at all, we used to have public service public health hospitals. And whatever, something, you know, happened, the evolution of medicine and, and the way we do things now. Because when I went to Tufts, my original plan had been to become a family practice doc, and I was going to go into the public health service. That was going to be my payback for, um, you know, what I did. I ended up going into the military instead. But uh, we used to have uh, various public health hospitals around, and physicians could join the public health service uh, as, a, as a physician. They would end up getting a lot of their um, uh, expenses for medical school paid for by the public health service, and then in turn, they would take care of patients in that system. And we used to talk about indigent care. We had hospitals basically for people who couldn't afford them, and they could go there. Well, those hospitals are all gone now, and but we do, as you said, we still have a good public health system. People get a master's in public health. They get an MD in public health. There are a lot of uh, a PhD in public health, but what we're, what the point that we're missing here is that we truly need to maybe bring back that system in the future because our healthcare system right now is being overrun with this COVID situation. And this is a time to reflect on how best we can now better our healthcare system. It was tootling along reasonably well for a while until this happened. And now we're coming to the realization that we are lacking in a lot of uh, issues. We're, we're lacking in we don't have enough physicians. By 2030, there is going to be a, approximately 120,000 shortage in physicians. With what's going on now and the way physicians are being treated and other healthcare workers, how do you think we're going to talk people into going into a situation where they may again, because COVID will maybe go dormant, we don't know exactly what it's going to do, but the problem is that if it comes back, are we going to have people in place to handle it? Are we going to have the mechanisms in place? Will we have a vaccine? Will we have uh, public health so that people are interested in going into primary care and taking care of people at the beginning of issues. Right now, we're kind of a specialty-based program. Uh, you know, that's what medicine is. And primary care physicians are, the, are going to be a deficit. And we don't know what that's going to look like in 10 years. But it's not going to be good if we can't look at this issue that we're having right now and beef up the ability for people to get into medicine and also for people to pay. You know, uh, when I went to medical school, I, you know, my, my friends and I laughed. When I went to medical school in 1974, medical school was $3,000 a year. 
Tufts Medical School now is $60,000 a year. And if you truly want to go into a primary care uh, position, the pay for many primary care physicians is less than a plumber. You know, it, it, it's, it's amazing what has happened to medicine. And the primary care people are the ones we're going to need. They're going to be the gatekeepers in the future to take care of all of these issues. And we want to entice bright minds, people out there who really, really want to give back. I tell people all the time that medicine was my calling. You know, from the time that I was nine years old, I grew up in the segregated South. I was told that I couldn't do a lot of things. I wanted to be a doctor because it called to me, and I am, you know, I've been doing this now for 40 years. But the important thing is how do we entice the brightest and the best to go into medicine after this is all taken down for a little bit? And how do we get the, the best minds to come in and say, I'm going to work on this issue. I really feel that we need to get a better handle so that when the next pandemic comes along or epidemic or whatever comes along, those minds will be in place to help America and the world to resolve it. Because well, when I you say before, when it here, comes and, and, and it will come, it's not yeah. if, but when, and it will happen, it's when. perhaps it the will. upside yeah. of this pandemic is, as you're describing it, is there are a lot of young people out there now who will see this as a challenge. You know, I, I was talking to my partner the other day and I said to him, you know, maybe there's going to be a lot of young people who are going to become epidemiologists and virologists and mm. You know, microbiologists, probably things they never even thought of before. But given what's happening now, um, that might, it's a challenge. It might happen. It will, I think it will happen. And um, hopefully, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. You know, Catherine, we, this, this is an eye opener for the world. Uh, we, we're not talking a lot about shoot 'em ups anymore. We're not talking about, uh, you know, uh, you know, blacks, whites, greens, orange, whatever, uh, fighting. What we're now doing is this is a common war against an unseen enemy, except, you know, every time I see a picture of a COVID, uh, you know, virus, it, it, it really actually upsets me because it's an ugly looking thing. It is an ugly looking see. thing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is with all this little, and, but when you think about it, it has, it, it doesn't care who you are. So it will kill the way it kills. And we need people to say, you know, this is our enemy now. And this may be our enemy for a while. Let us now focus on humanitarian and, and you know, all we need is love. You know, I, I come back to that sometimes and I just go, why, why in the world can't we just care about each other as human beings and help each other out and get through this? And when we come out on the other side of it, don't forget this at all. A lot of people have died and more will die. Let us get together. You know, my daughter's a social worker. I know that you are too. My daughter's yes. a social worker. And she says, you know, I, I, I just wonder if this is going to help us to um, care about people more and not put people down based on whatever level they are, that we just come together and beef up our healthcare system, beef up our educational system, give jobs to people, just open... There's so much that could come out of this that is positive, 
and not. I want to leave it on that. I could keep talking. Yes. I really enjoy I'm talking sorry. to you. We have one minute left, and okay. they're going to kick yes. me off in a minute. But uh, I think your daughter's right, <laughs> and um, I think that's the direction I hope we go in, and, and I do think we will. Um, it's really been a pleasure talking to you today, and Dr. Lynette Charity. Give us a website we can go to. Uh, if there is one, for more information about you and about your work and what you do. Yes. Uh, my website is drcharityspeaks.com. Great. And Thank the doctor you. is dr, so drcharityspeaks.com. Great. Stay healthy. Okay. Stay safe. Yes. And stay sane. That's Exercise. <laughs> Exercise. <laughs> eat well. Sane. Sleep well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you Thank again. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 